welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome back to Employee of the Month. On this episode, I sat down with David Carr on our live show at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. David Carr is the author of The Night of the Gun, uh, which is a memoir about his struggles with drug and alcohol addiction, and I cannot recommend it enough because it gives a chilling, chilling portrait of what it's like to abuse drugs. And um, I felt like it also showed what it's like to be in love with and or related to the person, both by what he says and doesn't say. But it's just a gripping, gripping memoir, and I know that they use it in a lot of addiction centers. He is best known, however, for his prolific work. He is a phenomenal journalist, sort of the last of a generation, along the lines of, you know, a Cy Hirsch and Clyde Averman kind of. He's just an old school, real journalist who's so good at what he does. And you may have seen him in the movie about the New York Times, the documentary that's directed by Rossi, which is called Page One. But you also probably read him and you know it. If you don't know his byline, although you should. He is the media and culture reporter and columnist for the New York Times now. He also revolutionized the city paper in D.C. and made it into what the Village Voice used to be. What I find most <laughs> disarming about David, and it's, he's very funny and very charming, is that he accomplishes more in a day than I do when I'm, I'm sober and I like still can't do a quarter of what he does. So it's slightly irritating to know that he was able to accomplish so much while completely out of his tree. It's almost as if he's so brilliant that he needed to put up these hoops in order to see like, well, just how much can I have going on in the air? How many trays can I be spinning in the air and still manage to have a phenomenally pithy voice that's still accessible? So without further ado, here's my rambunctious interview with my partner in crime. I'm really hoping that David and I can go on the road as a comedy team. I will be his Gracie. Here's Mr. David Carr. Does Thanks everyone know intro. David Carr here? Do you have your book out too, The Night of the Gun? What? Do you have your book here as well? No, here, The Night of the Gun. Um, so I'm very excited. I. Well, I don't. Adam's got like 400 books. I didn't I know, want to bring my crappy little book up here. He has a whole library. I know he does. Think about how hard it is for him to move. And he can houses. spin a basketball and hold the mic. Oh. <laughs> But I, I feel like um, we're all supposed to think that we're all special children. So this is what I got on Sunday. I need to put it in a bag. I get that you work for the paper of record, but do you guys have to record everything? Yeah, we like it as thick as a ham sandwich and twice as tasty. I love when they have the environmental section. I think that's the funniest. Out of all of them. Except for those reviews, that toxic waste dump of a section. Yeah, well, it's because we just let live and dive. I mean, it's like so exciting. So thrilling to see your name in print, and then when someone's like, I don't like you, you, you know, regress to sixth grade. Or I, I'll use I statements. I regress. Let's use I statements okay, all the okay, way. Okay, good, 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 good. When the critic shits on me, I feel really bad. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing good. Um, I, on the can other you tell hand, that I dropped I, out of I my PhD? I don't care what people say about me. You don't at all? You just compartmentalize it? I don't know. Someone called me retarded not that long ago, and that hurt my feelings just a little bit, but it went away. Wait, you, so it really doesn't bother you at all? What? It doesn't bother you at all. Well, partly because sometimes I write mean things about people sometimes, and I don't want to be a pussy when people say mean stuff about me. Has anyone ever confronted you back and said, like, why did you write that about me? Well, sure. All the time on email, I get 
you know, people come over the hill. Uh, have you ever changed? Have you ever been like, you know what? I think you're right. The only time I feel bad is when it's like a civilian, like a normal person, somebody yeah. who's not, who didn't put themselves in the public eye as a matter of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. that makes perfect a, sense. A normal person. I wouldn't mind stapling you or Adam or whatever. You're putting yourself <laughs> okay, out there. That's so good to know. <laughs> This is such a safe environment. I feel like it's been so good. So, speaking but of... But partly, I just want to clarify. I yeah. couldn't be a critic because whether I went came to your show or a movie or one of Adam's play, I'm always in the third row sitting there like with a bucket of popcorn expecting it to be great. I always am hoping and... And it really takes a lot. It comes. It comes out in your work. I good. would say the, the exuberance and the joy. I mean, even yeah, because I'm rooting. I'm 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 rooting for. I mean, you had talked about that that you stopped doing the carpet blogger. You used to do this um, blog from the carpet New York Times. Bagger. I apologize. Ah. I apologize. <laughs> I, we know why I don't work at the New York Times. Uh, the carpet bagger. And you said that it it started to hurt your joy of film. Well, because you begin to understand they're all mostly monsters, so that will sort of lessen your enjoyment yeah. of, of seeing movies. Quentin Tarantino isn't like a snuggle bunny? You know, Shocked. I don't know him. Um, but no, in general, it, it, some of the magic disappears when you, when, when you see films either get put together or, or marketed. Yeah. Right? You know, when you, when you see Harvey... Up there, you know, accepting an award, you, you know, he's probably snapped the neck of a few people to be there. So, and do you guys ever feel like there's a way to stop that and change that system as a, as journalists or reporters? Or no, it's more to comment. I thought on. about going out to um, the West Coast and working as a reporter in Hollywood. Hollywood is a very poorly behaved industry, partly because I had no idea. <laughs> Because the press there is so syncophantic, and they will take whatever kibble is being fed to them by the studios. And I thought, I'll go there, I'll change everything, it'll be a paradigm shift. And I really thought it through. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be found with my panties at my ankles at 4 a.m. off Sunset Boulevard. You, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to become one of those people. I didn't know you wore panties. Okay, wait, so... I noticed... Well, I won't say. Are you, are you noticed mine? They're sticking out? A little um, bit. Good to know. I got a real critic not here. Not anybody's me know. looking. Um, so... <laughs> They're red, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're, I think we're talking thong too. <laughs> or was I? Did I see that right? It was kind of like that freeze frame that was up there. It sort of etched in my mind. It was not an unpleasant image. I just gotta say. So you, you, uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll skip Helping. the, we'll skip the preliminary sense questions and I'll just segue to one. You wrote in your book, Night of the Gun, that you used to say things that were inappropriate about women and you stopped doing that. And I thought it was so wonderful that I'm you in, were... I'm in touch with my androgynous <laughs> spirit. I was trying to help you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, I do. If people don't say you have lipstick on your teeth, it's not nice. Um, but you did, you did change your behavior then. I was so impressed that you were able to... Did you recognize it in yourself and fundamentally change, or was it like, I just don't want to get in trouble? 
No, um, what happened is I ended up being the single parent of, uh, of two children. Two children, and they were. <laughs> Now you're being like James Lipton. You're telling me things I know. I know they were fucking twins. I can count. So I had sole custody of these two children, and they were <coughs> small women, girls. And I began to. Maybe under- I could work at the time. Uh, <laughs> and I under and I understood and I understood, you know they. They landed on me from a very great distance. I was not the kind of person that you would let take care of a ficus plant, let alone two other really small humans. And I began to understand that, you know, as precious as these uh, daughters were to me, everybody is somebody's daughter. Everybody belongs to someone. Everybody is worthy of respect. And I know that sounds gooey or, but that's- I think it sounds lovely. It's, I, I mean, if you, if, it, it's odd that one of the ways I learned to quit, other than what I said about you, uh, uh, learned to, Tone for, it the, down. for the most part, quit objectifying women as I reproduced and, you know, was a father to a, to two young women, and that, that stakes you in this world in a very different way. You sort of switch teams at that point. Um. So my next question is about the Washington City paper, because I was growing up in D.C. when you revolutionized it and made it into when the Village Voice was actually like a third-party candidate that had some genuine meat. You did that with the Washington City paper, and I was wondering, were you aware of that at the time? You know, it's nice you to say so, but... You're welcome. uh, I appreciate it. (laughs) Anything uh, anything you do to shine the apple will be appreciated. Uh, um, The paper I took over... Jack Schaefer was the editor of it, and it was, um, it just all false modesty aside, I, it was a really great paper. Kate Boo, who just won uh, the National Book Award, worked there. I mean, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates was working for me. When I got there, um, I was mostly, uh, I just, it was a much bigger job than my previous job. And, and, and I did not want to fuck it up. Part of the challenge of the job is I was in a majority black city and... African-American. Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. And I had come from Minnesota where everything, the food, the, the, the ground, everything is white, you know, and... Well, D- and D.C. at that time was, I mean, Marion Barry was very into his neti pod and... You know, our basketball team at the time was called the Bullets. I mean, it was the murder capital of the country, so that seemed very touche. I mean, it was a very, very much black and white extremes um, at the time, too, to be entering. And, and when you're talking about black and white. So my first week, I did a paper. <laughs> Just wanted to give some context that it was it was dramatic. Chocolate dramatic City, enough. we got it. <laughs> so my first my first week, um, the, the headline I put on the cover was... Uh, um, Black hole, why isn't the black community producing any leaders worth following? It didn't, it didn't go very well. There was, there but that's was, not because they're black. There was some, that's just because they're human. Uh, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't pull an atom on me and like lock it in safes. It, it was, the, the papers were burned and stacked on the front of our office. And I just, I, I, I had a ways to go before I understood what it was going to take to edit a paper there. It was a rough start. 
Um, speaking about rough starts, I met this guy, Tom Freichman, who um, is a really neat comic. He's sort of struggling, but he went to your downtown office in the Twins. You were at the Twin City Reader? That's correct. And he said he was, you were going to write an article about him. He had such nice things to say about you. He said you're a hugely talented guy. And he was waiting for the elevator in the lobby, and you came careening out of it, up all night, bloodshot eyes. Is that the same firing um, that you talked about at Night of the Gun? Well, that could have been any day of the week. Okay. Okay. I'm not joking. Terrible things happened in that elevator. <laughs> terrible, terrible, horrible things. Well, I brought his um, resume and contact info because it looks like his career hasn't... I mean, he's doing well, but I think a real... You know, well, what do you mean? Was I supposed to meet with him? Yeah. So oh. maybe you could write a review or something. I don't know. He just he, he definitely seems like a really... Yeah, nice I was in the business of letting people down in those days fairly consistently. Um, well, but you got mentored very nicely, it seems, by Kurt Anderson. He, he hired you um, from an email that you wrote. Yep. Um, and that set you on track to be a New York Times columnist. Can you tell about that story? Or is there no story? It was just me. What did you write in the email that really charmed him? Because it, it was a big deal for you to get hired there. You're this phenomenal I writer. Work, yeah, I was working at the Washington City Paper, which, as you point out, was a great job, probably the coolest job I ever had. And very talented writers, good ownership, business was good, the newspaper industry was good. But a conversation in Washington, I loved living there. I thought, thought it was an incredibly livable city. I liked to ride my bike, and it was a great place to be on a bike. And But the conversation there is so one track. Oh, yeah. Over and over. Maybe more so than Hollywood, just single track over and over, all about the bowing and scraping and pursuit of power. And I um, somebody had said, you know, they're doing this media news site called Inside.com in New York. Why don't you apply there? And I was like, oh. They got a million people to pick from. And then I went to a, a party, and, it, you know, it's always some guy wearing a badge from Congress, and he was, like, spitting beer and pretzels on, <laughs> on me while he's talking. He's like, you should come up to the hill, man. There's stories falling from the sky up there. And I just said, you know what? If I talk to one more of these fuckers, I am just going to blow my brains out. <laughs> Just, just one more Washington nerd up in my face about all, you know, the fact that the subcommittee chair is boinking, you know, some aide or, you know, it's just awful. And so I went back to my office and um, I had been accidentally, you know, when you're trying BCC, when you're writing to important people, somebody had left his email in the public domain. I snatched it <coughs> and I wrote him a note and said... Uh, I know you could swing a dead cat and find 10 people better than me, but I really, um, if you have any interest, I'd like to come up to you and see you and talk to you about this job. And he said, yeah, come, come up next day. That's incredible. Well, I mean, it's partly, I think, mostly based on your writing and then also that you are an incredibly charismatic and amiable human. But um, We're both from the Midwest. I think that helped. Um, well, how does that help? <laughs> Um, Midwest. I don't know. I'm not exactly like a really super silky guy. I don't know if you've noticed, but yeah. like, like have a couple of rough edges. And I think if he had been in, um, I don't know if he had been in a feet New York type. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure he would have been able to grok just how special I was. By a, by a, <laughs> by a feet? Do you mean gay or? 
no, just to people I, who I, wear thong I, underwear. I do really well with the gays. I don't know why, but I've always had done... done I, no, I meant if he was a snob. Okay. If he, I, you know, I, I was expecting something different. This guy invented Spy Magazine. He went to Harvard. He, yeah, he yeah. won the Employee of the Month Award. He's yes. done a lot in his career. Um, but he, he was... He, the first day I was there, we were in the Starrett Lehigh building. We were on like the 12th floor, and it's that big building on the west side. And when you go around, when you face north, all of Midtown is spread out in its glory. And I'm from, you know, in the Midwest. So anything, you know, like a subway I find fascinating. A, a ferry is just like, wow, I mean, you can take a boat to work. And, <laughs> and I was just sitting there on my first day around the corner by the coffee machine with my mouth open, staring at Midtown. And he came around the corner and he, he totally busted me, you know, like, holy shit, look at this. Like how great it is. And, and he said, you know, it keeps happening. It keeps happening. If you keep your eyes open, it keeps happening. This place will just fill you with wonder. Um, he also said that until you were hired by the New York Times, the New York Times would never in a million years have hired a reporter and writer with your personal and professional history. Why do you think they did? No, I I thought it was weird when they called me. I thought, um, I mean, I called my father. Um, I was so excited when they called me. It's just like, holy shit. It's got to be so thrilling. Yeah, you know, and I couldn't wait to call my dad and say, you know, damn, the New York Times called me. They want to interview me about going to work there. And, and, and I... He, he said, well, you, you've always wanted to work there. And I said, I've never said that once. <laughs> never once have I considered that I would ever, ever go to work there. And, and I still think, like, when my luggage comes down, it, when I'm traveling, there's, like, my business card. I just think it's, it's, it's I don't know, it feels like a caper. It feels like, it's, did that really happen? Do you want to pinch me to make sure it happened, or you're Okay. <laughs> No, I'm, I've got lights on me. I'm being interviewed. I think it, is, it, it is thrilling. And when they when there was a documentary done, uh, page one, um, it was really about you. And I was curious. You've done so much to champion the movie that you essentially star in. Um, how come you've helped them so much in promoting the film? Well, I you know some of it I think was just you know base level narcissism and uh, I can see that. I was, um, I was, I was doing, I didn't make the movie and I had a great deal of admiration for the movie because I write about newspapers. Newspapers are really boring. I mean, they just, they are. People don't care that much about them. The market dynamics sort of uh, suggest that. And I thought this guy made a really interesting movie about a newspaper, whether I was in it or not. I thought he did a good job of showing how things happen there. So I was supportive on that level, but at a certain point, I'm not participating. It's not like my book. I didn't, I didn't make it. I just am like this homeless guy that wanders through it every once in a while. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a sense of uh, ownership of it. And I was talking to um, Al Gore for a story about current mm -hmm. and I was in the middle of this stuff, and I had just gone on Bill, Ma Bill Maher and said something incredibly stupid that got me in a jam, and I was 
like turning into one of these people about where's my car, what do you mean I have a middle seat, all this. This is the baseline narcissism again. Yes, that that I you know I used to cover the Oscars and I always wondered you'd see them at the beginning of the season they'd be so nice, and then after a few weeks they would turn into these jerks and it comes from sort of the inequality of interest. People always sort of know something about you, but you don't know something about them. And so I was bitching to him about, you know, being involved in, because I wanted to pull back. And and he said, you should totally support that film. And I said, well, your film made $400 million. You made it. It may have changed the course of human history in terms of the issue of global warming. It's fairly easy yeah. for you. And what would... Uh, Whereas, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm like an extra in a movie about newspapers. I wouldn't say you're an extra. You're a star in it. Okay, uh, all right. So I'm the fo- it's like being the tallest leprechaun. It's not that big of a deal. Well. But, but he, he, he said to me, how many movies do you think they're going to make about your life? And I said, no, probably not that many. He says, well, it behooves you to support this one. Okay, that's great. No, I love to, I, I, I liken it to Comedian by Seinfeld, where um, what's excellent about the movie is it's a, a very good look into one comedian who's phenomenally successful, and I thought that it showed one department that's very successful. Um, and I, it was also important for what it didn't have. There were not a lot of people of color, um, and certainly not a lot of women in your department. Um, but so I, I thought that was really helpful to see what is not there as well as what is. Um, Whereas we work in a paper that's, you know, run by a woman and many of the leading editors are women. Part of what happened in terms of the casting is men are like little banty roosters. They think what they do is intrinsically interesting and they love to strut around and show what they do. And when they went to the women in our department, they said, what could possibly be in this for me? There, there can only be a downside. So uh, I, I think they... It, Male vanity is the answer to how it ended up cast that way. Well, let, let's talk about a time when you were less vain. You had a series of jobs. Um, you were digging ditches, and you also worked in an old age home. And I wanted to see you had a surprise trick um, from something you had learned from one of your many jobs that you did in between. i got to say that it, two things about, well, one thing. It involves, I used to wait tables. Okay. And so I told you for my trick, all I needed was a tray. Yes. And you offered me a paper tray. Yeah, we didn't deliver. You did not. Did, it was in my Do you know rider. what? That happened to me on Saturday morning when yeah. I went downstairs. Yeah. My paper was not there. Okay, so we're even on that. <laughs> okay, so my colleague who's here, Jesse McKinley, went and found a tray. Can we give Jesse a hand because it is freezing rain outside. I was so excited that he kindly did it. Here's, here's David the thing. Jesse's a phenomenal My trick writer. is spinning a tray, which I'm pretty sure is easier than spinning a basketball. Okay. But I haven't done it in probably, I don't know, 12 years or I so. I think we're all excited right. and we have the red light. So I think we should just get to it. You guys, can you give it, can you be, um, let's clap in a way that's helpful and soothing. I'm tone deaf, so I won't lead us. <laughs> you guys can sing, right? David's in touch with an androgynous spirit.
Jay, and thank you so, so much for being on the show. I'm such a huge fan. This was He's wonderful. We'll see you for the workshop. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out our website, employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com. You can nominate people. You can give me feedback about the interviews, what you liked, didn't like, people you'd like to hear from. Again, this show is about jobs, work, and culture. So trying to get a sense of how people spend their time, what they do with it. We really only, we meaning me, like to only interview interesting, good eggs, the good part meaning that they have a moral compass. I probably will not take someone if they're a dictator or a parking ticket officer, but anyone else who has a really interesting job or career, please feel free to uh, let us know about them. Please donate if you have money. We could really use your help. It makes the sound quality that much better. It helps pay for people. And even me, I could afford to have three meals in a day instead of combining. That would be a delight. I really want to thank Ian Mazoff for being just a wonderful partner in crime, as well as all of you for listening. Thank you so, so much. And how did I not thank Lady Parts? Thank you, Lady, for being the best co-host a host could ever have. I'm Katie Lazarus. Be well.